0: If you have your Bibles, I want to do some things to help set this up. We are going to finish Second Timothy tonight and uh, take a look. Ryan last week uh, helped us see the challenge that Paul left Timothy in terms of the uh, the, the, the the challenge, the admonition um, that in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who will be the ultimate judge when He appears in His kingdom, that He needs to preach the word, be ready constantly um, to do a number of things to prepare. Uh, the church, and to equip the church, and to feed the church all simultaneously. And so um, tonight, I'm going to be beginning in verse 9, and if you look on your sheet, it looks very different. I toyed around with a number of different ways uh, to deal with this material tonight. I guess I couldn't help but be overwhelmed more sermonically uh, about these last few verses of this particular book because it just seemed a little bit inappropriate for me um, to walk through and to pay special attention to the verb Verbs and the verb tenses, which I do a lot, don't I? The verb for this is, and the verb tense for that is, and therefore the interpretation of this is. And here's what's kind of going on, and I've, I've done a lot on historical background. Here's the location. Here's the place. This is the context. This, these are the, uh, the, the religious or the political ideas that are kind of circulating in the area. But actually, in this particular closing, there are 17 names. And I just couldn't help but think maybe the best way for us to close out this section is, uh, is, to, is to look at those names and to realize just uh, the kind of dealing with the question, what's in a name? And what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of a step back um, since this is the final of Paul's letters. This is he is about to die. Uh, we don't know if uh, Timothy even makes it to him. So it's pretty much the end for him. And uh, when I think about the end of Paul's ministry, I actually get rather emotional. I've broken down probably about four or five times in my preaching ministry, broken down thinking about the end of Paul's life. We'll see what happens tonight. It's just a very touchy subject for me, if I can just put it that way. I still remember the very first time I got caught off guard in the middle of a message thinking about Paul's execution and not feeling sorry for him, but feeling grateful for him. Do you know the difference? I didn't feel sorry for him. I felt grateful for him. And so what I want to do is I want to take a bit of a step back as we look at these 17 names and think about maybe that time period before the Apostle Paul uh, even was known as Paul, (laughs) which is what we always know him as. But before that time, he was who? Saul of the city of Tarsus. He was Saul of of Tarsus. I remember preaching a sermon um, a number of years ago. And the opening line was, I don't know of a more unchristian thing to say than I know him and he'll never change. I just don't, I think that's probably one of the most uh, godless things that somebody could actually say. to, to, To argue that the grace of God is not capable or able to reach that person. And then I kind of walked through the idea that I'm sure that at the end of the stoning of Stephen, and you have that little tiny beginning in Acts chapter 8, and Saul stood there giving approval to his death. And I began to kind of play it out in my mind like I like to do. I can imagine after Stephen's funeral, the church kind of gathering, right, talking about the events. Okay, we need someone to replace Stephen because he was one of the deacons that was selected, one of the servants in that ministry. So we need to replace him. And finally, somebody just has to say it. You know, he was there. Who was there? Saul. You know, he was there. He was the one holding the coats. And I just have to believe that somebody probably in that moment, out of somewhere between fear and frustration, said, and that's Saul of Tarsus, I know him. He'll never change. And what that person may have said, right, that well-intended, frustrated Christian person, because have you ever said that about somebody? I have, I have. I've looked at somebody's life and just could not see any point of connection that they would ever have with God that would change them. So I've been there. But what's very interesting is is that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches and he dies. And then in Acts chapter 8, the church begins to scatter because of the work of of Saul and many others. And then in Acts chapter 9, while the apostle, uh, future apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is on his way and he leaves um, the Jerusalem area on his way to Damascus. And I remember the first time going to Israel and we were told we were going to be up in the Golan Heights looking out into Syria, and you would be able to see, I still remember our guide saying it, and, and me just kind of feeling like a jump in my heart. He said, and we'll be able to see the Damascus road. The ro- well, he called it the road to Damascus. And I thought, I can't wait. <laughs> like, I can't wait. I mean, can you take me to the spot where it happened? And we couldn't. Couldn't go there, but you could just see. Is that it? Is that it right there? Is that it? No, it's over here. Okay, I don't know if I see it. Well, do you see that? Yeah, okay, I see it. And that's the Damascus. We don't know where it happened, but that's the Damascus Road. And the Apostle Paul, to be Apostle Paul, is on his way, and Jesus encounters him. And I find it very interesting that it is during that encounter and the subsequent transformation in this man's life that what God does is he changes his name, okay? At some level, changes his name. We don't really know why it happens. We know that in the previous chapter and then even the beginning of this, he's Saul, and then all of a sudden he becomes Paul, becomes known more by his Roman name. Some people say, well, you have his Jewish name, and then you have his Roman name. Because he was, obviously, very Jewish in his upbringing and a very Jewish in his perspective and his zeal. And then God makes him the apostle to the Gentiles. And you literally have a, a change in name. And he goes from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. And that name is a big deal. Um, it's, it's fascinating that when I went back and started looking at some of that old material in the last few days... Um, Jesus actually says things like, uh, and I will show him how much. This is Jesus or God speaking actually uh, to somebody else about the Apostle Paul. And he said, and this is what, this was: I will show him how much he must suffer. Do you remember what it says? For my name. (laughs) That's what the Lord says. I'm going to show this man how much he must suffer for my name. The idea of name in the Bible represents a whole lot more. It represents that person and that character, and particularly of God. And so I guess we shouldn't be surprised that one of the next major sections that we actually see, so Acts 9, you have the wonderful conversion on the Damascus Road. Acts 13 is the next one. Take a, take a look in your Bible just so you can see it. In Acts 13, it's a, it's a major shift. You don't know it's a shift yet. Um, as, as Luke is recording the material, who, by the way, is a companion of the Apostle Paul and one of the people mentioned in our text tonight, when you look at it, um, if you look at the Acts material, up until this time, it has been about Jerusalem location, and it has been about Peter predominantly. I know John occasionally, but Peter predominantly. Even in chapter 12, you have James, the brother of John, executed. You have Peter in prison, Peter rescued. And then all of a sudden in in the next chapter, in chapter 13, interestingly, what you actually have is a list of names. Look how this begins. Now, there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, who we know, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so you have a list of five names, kind of very significant names, showing a number of different uh, divergent backgrounds and ideas and, and even political connections. And then at the very end of this, the Holy Spirit says, what I want you to do by name is I want you to take Barnabas and I want you to take Saul and I want you to send them out to the place where I have, have called them. And now all of a sudden, the book of Acts, If you, in your mind, I don't know if you do this, I, I did this because in college when I was studying the book of Acts, there really is a line in the book of Acts. One through 12, for the most part, is really about Jerusalem and it is about the apostles, um, the ones that we know who are disciples, That is the predominant work. I know that in 8, we've got an an expansion out uh, into Samaria. But for the most part, it is about Jerusalem and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing there. But the Holy Spirit said, um, through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit actually said, that ultimately, after I empower you, I'm going to send you out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And so 13 is the start of the rest of this. Now here's the part I want you to just think about. As we look at the closing of this particular book, is that God sends out as His ambassadors people with names, like real people. I don't think we understand. I think, I think sometimes we can be um, uh, quietly, um, unintentionally. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to use the word duped, but somehow misled we kind of fail to recognize just how critical it is that someone share the good news about Jesus Christ like someone like a real person shares the news in the end it's just kind of like yeah we kind of collectively should go preach who who's going to do that well, you know someone no I want to know who is going to do that? When, when we get into our staff meetings, and I don't know if the staff get frustrated with me when I do this, but occasionally, now they've stopped doing it because i found that if you, if you kind of challenge in certain ways, people kind of adapt, right, the way they, they, they operate. But I remember years ago, someone would make a comment, and I get it. I've, I've been there. I'm still there in, in many instances. Um, we can't get anybody to da-da-da. We can't get anybody to, to join a fit team. Somebody might say that. We can't get anybody to join a fit team. I love to ask the question, well, who's the anybody you can't get? Well, what do you mean? You can't get anybody. No, I, mean, I want to know. Like, I want the names of all the people that you spoke to, and they looked at you and said, I will not be on a fit to. I just want to know their names. Well, okay, there's not real people involved. I'm just, I'm getting the sense that there's not. And I love to point that out. I mean, maybe because from back in my sales day, right, the guy would always say, who wouldn't buy like, who wouldn't? Who could you not? And I, I thought, okay, I better have an answer. So we ask that question all the time, don't we, Paul? We ask that question. So who won't go on that mission trip? Like, who did you ask? And they said, I don't want to go to Met. Who was that? Well, nobody. I don't actually talk to people. Like, I don't actually sit down. I don't actually sit down and say, hey, would, would you mind being on a fit team? Um, that's what bulletins are for. Bulletins, I mean, for those of you that have asked me, hey, can I put our little thing in the bulletin? You know what I say. Don't expect anybody to respond to it necessarily. It's great information. It is. It's good information. But we say as a staff and we tell our leaders, do not assume. Do not assume. But I actually believe that when I sit down in front like this and I'm having a real conversation with Tim and Kay and I say, hey, listen, I'm going to Israel. Will you guys consider coming? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They say yes. Now, by the way, they may even say no, but then I can go back and say, I can't get anyone to go to Israel. Well, who's the the anyone you can't get? Well, Tim and Kay. I asked them, and they said no. Okay, well, that, that kind of explains some things. But isn't it true that sometimes we forget just how critical it is? You know, let me just tell you some things I've been thinking through and reflecting on. You know, like our missionaries around the world have names. Like they're real people with like real families. And so we're not just grateful for missionaries in Ethiopia. It's Jake and Aaron Moore. And they have served there for a long time faithfully. And I'm so glad that I actually went and I got to see what it looked like. And I know what their house looks like and what the clinic looks like. And I know what the, um, uh, the, like the little huts in the area around looks like. I know what it's like to drive from Otis to, 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 to where, they, where they live. And, and these are very real people that God has, 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 has empowered and called to a mission. And I was blessed to see that, to be a part of that. And and the part that I want to just, I really want you to own tonight, um, which by the way, I hope comes from this text, is that in the same way that we may want to be encouraged by faith, um, that one of the most powerful ways that the Holy Spirit encourages me, by far and away, the most powerful way that the Holy Spirit encourages me is when real people with real names demonstrate faithfulness to God. Tom and Rhonda Houston, that's who. Rhonda came into my office. She doesn't even know I'm talking about her, but that's okay. And she came into my office and she said, I believe the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart to be baptized. And she told me her story. She told me about her journey of faith and I shared with her some biblical teaching about what baptism is. And I said, I want you to to go home and hear some more verses that describe it. And I want you to pray about this and I want you to to think about this. And then she called me back and said, I've studied it and I've looked at it and I'm ready to do this. And you need to talk to Tom because I think he's ready too. And so I talked with Tom and we had that same conversation. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in my heart. This is where the Holy Spirit is leading me. This is what the word of God says. And I'm gonna be obedient to what the word of God says. And I said to the both of them, thank you for encouraging me today. And you know what, they, they went like this. What? What do you mean for encouraging you? And I said, I, I need, anybody else like this? I need to see other people demonstrate faithful response to the Holy Spirit. Do you know? Like I love teaching, I really do. And and teaching can be helpful, and the Word of God is so powerful. But it was never meant to be just given to us as these principles and these ideas. No, no, no. It's these principles and these ideas that are true, and these are the people in this book that it transformed or challenged or rebuked or exposed. And then you and I have an opportunity, because we have names, to kind of continue on the legacy. So the Holy Spirit said I want you to set apart for me Saul and Barnabas and I want you to, to send them out to the place where I want them to go and they, they head out and they go to southern Turkey and then they head out again and they think they're going to China but God actually sends instead Paul, Acts 16 to Europe. Who is grateful for that? And he goes to Greece instead of China you have no idea that Macedonian call is, is probably the reason why, okay, in God's sovereign plan. Maybe, maybe I, I just, I think of that call a lot, because if you look at it, Paul's looking at going up to Turkey around the Black Sea and heading the other direction, and the, the Macedonian call is like, there's a man in Macedonia, Macedonia saying, come over here, and the spirit of Jesus, is what the text says, Hindered Paul from going there and instead he goes he goes to Greece and then on to Europe, gets the gets the call. Now, by the way, God sends others to India and to China, by the way. So it's not like nobody's gone in that direction. No, actually, even some of the apostles went in that direction. But it is just amazing to think about what happened because God sent a man named Saul. Let's look at our text. Look at what he says beginning in verse 9. Do your best. It literally is, that, that is a word that's used a couple of times in this text. It means with great urgency. Uh, Paul is at some level recognizing his life is near the end. He keeps talking somewhat like that. It's a little bit of a, um, I don't know if, how long I'm going to have. I don't know. It seems like there's uh, more and more persecutions that are happening in the Roman Empire. Uh, this is right near the end of Nero's reign. And so for whatever reason, I don't know if, 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 the, if the Holy Spirit told them, uh, you don't have much time left, but do your best to come to me. And then the word there for soon is, is just the adjective or the, uh, the adverb quickly. So head in this direction. And, and we don't really know exactly, uh, you know, all of the factors that go to it. But here's one of the major differences. When, when someone says, you know, I really need to get home. For example, someday, and probably in the next number of years, I'll get the call that my mom or my dad, who are now in their mid to late 80s, right? They're not going to live forever. Mid to late 80s, and Andrea and I are going to get the call, right? Her parents or my parents or somebody, and what are they going to say? Come home quickly. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, hey, babe, we, we probably both should go. They said we need to come home quickly. Dad doesn't have much time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know americanairlines.com I'm going to go to an airport in Stillwater fly to Dallas and be in Calgary by lunch literally 1820 miles and I'll be there by lunch that's kind of what we can do that's not happening back here (laughs) right first of all if you try to go by land it's incredibly 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 expensive and dangerous and if you want to go and in the winter time it's even more so freeze to death on these roads, okay? So you've got a lot of complications and difficulties. If you go by sea and it's about to be winter, you can't even go. So the concept of, hey, I mean, imagine what it would be like to be in Rome under house arrest prison, somewhere in that line of, of, uh, of, uh, of events, and you're writing on a piece of paper and giving it to a guy, Tychicus or Erastus, And saying, hey, can you get this to Timothy, who's in Ephesus? (laughs) And then he's got to travel there. And then, you know, Timothy opens it up, and it says, come to me quickly. Okay, how how long have you been walking, Tychicus? Oh, eight months. (laughs) Okay, what what, what month is it? March, okay. I might be able to make it by Christmas. And then Paul says, what's that? Anyway, uh, they didn't celebrate Christmas at that time in history. But think about this. I want you to come and I want you to do your best to me, do that best to come to me quickly. You just, I don't think we understand how complicated travel was back then. Do your best to come to me soon. And then look at this, this, this first name for Demas. Let me give you another, I'm gonna give you some other texts that describe him. Colossians chapter 4, 14 describes him. As well as Philemon. Verse 24, there's only one chapter. So Philemon, verse 24, also describes him. By the way, describes him in good terms. Demas is most likely from Thessalonica somewhere, and he does a lot of work with the, with the ministry that happens in Thessalonica. Um, but in verse 10, near the end of Paul's life, this is what he says about Demas. After giving some great admonition for him to the church in Colossae, And to the church, um, uh, Colossae, by the way, is most likely, uh, Colossae or Ephesus is where Philemon most likely was. And so for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so here he has, um, at some level, and Paul's gonna be talking about this, is that as much as these names are encouragement and these names are wonderful, Sometimes there's a Demas that exists, and we don't know the fullness of it, but Paul does say this. I don't think it's glowing terms. It's not. um, I love in in the book of Philippians, one of the nicest things he says about anybody is Timothy, and he says, I have no one else like him who genuinely cares for your interests. That's what he says about Timothy, okay? (laughs) What does he say about Demas? Yeah, he's in love with the world and has since deserted me and just left for Thessalonica, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's always interesting. Um, I'll be, I, I like being transparent, actually. It's always interesting when someone says to me, hey, um, you know, my wife and I are going to be leaving Sunnybrook. Please don't take it personally. I, I know what they're saying. I've had a number of people. I've been here now for 13 years. I've had, a, I've had friends say that to me. And I, I try to not. I always get a little nervous, feel like my neck is getting red when they're telling me this. And I appreciate the fact that they don't just disappear. And I'm trying to, you know, swallow. Don't have that weird, like, weird, like, skipping your voice when you try to talk and you're nervous and scared. And so I'm, I'm trying to, okay, so tell me what's going on. <laughs> tell me what's happening. And, um, well, I, I just, I don't want you to take it personally. It really has, is nothing about you. We just don't like the preaching. Or whatever they might say, you know. Um, but when they do that, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to not take it personally, um, I, and, and what I've really been able to do, and I thank God for this, there is an element which I don't take it personally, especially when it's truly not personal. Like, I get that it's complex. Even in our membership stuff, we talk about you being led somewhere. We want you to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And um, by the way, like when the Lord calls me to go somewhere else, I'm leaving. Just without any apologies. I'll cry, but I'm going because God has called me. And I love to to remind pastors why is it when you're called to go somewhere else, you know, you're literally called by God, but when people do that, they're just selfish. That's what I love to challenge pastors with. It is more complicated than that. But I don't know if it's, I, I think I need to take some of these things personally. Like, not personally in the how dare you, but we're family. If my son just came home and said, hey, by the way, I'm never coming back, but don't take it personally. Now, there is a personal element to this. And I like to remind people of that. Yeah, I I appreciate what you say. And I really have learned the ability to not take it in that sense personally. But to say to them, but hey, I'm still going to miss you. And I still love you. And uh, man, we want to pray for where you believe hopefully God is leading you. And so here's one of these instances. We don't know the fullness of it. We don't know if this guy is like a terrible guy, um, but we do know he deserved. We don't know if he deserted Jesus, but we do know he deserted Paul. And that's just got to hurt when you're in prison and people are leaving. He continues on. Crescens has gone to Galatia, which is the first place where the apostle Paul went. Notice even the locations here. So Demas goes back to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Dalmatia is actually um, north of Greece. So if you're kind of thinking, Greece is here, and then Italy is here, and between them is the Adriatic Sea. And on the northern part of the Adriatic Sea, kind of like if you keep going a little bit north, you would like bump into Yugoslavia and Croatia and Serbia. Okay, that's kind of that area. That Dalmatia is on that, uh, the, uh, I guess it would be the east side after the, after the Adriatic Sea. It's that province there, and that is where Titus is now gone to continue to do ministry. So here Paul is <laughs> near the end of his life, and I love this. He's still keeping track of where everybody's going. Titus has gone to Dalmatia, verse 11. This is one of my favorite people. I can't wait to meet him. Luke alone is with me. Now, by the way, he's going to have some others, by the way, these guys say hello, and so I don't know at what level it's just Luke, but definitely of like that closest band that existed together, uh, Luke is is one who is actually still with him, Luke, we we, we call him Luke the doctor. Then he says, this is a key name, get Mark, I don't have all the texts for Mark because there's tons of them. If you remember, Mark actually traveled with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And while they were in some really difficult times, Mark couldn't take it. And he, Paul's words, deserted me, deserted us. And when they decide to head out again on the second missionary journey, Acts 16, when Paul goes to Philippi, when they head out the second time, Barnabas says, hey, I want to take John Mark again because he's related to him. I want to take John Mark again. And Paul goes, no. <laughs> like, I'm not going with that guy. He says that. And I know we, most preachers are really hard on Paul on that instance. They really are. How dare Paul? After all, he, he got second chance. Why didn't? I, I know what one, uh, well, Mark Scott, that great preacher from a couple of weeks ago. I remember when Mark was teaching that and he challenged the idea. He said, wow, if what Paul did was so wrong, why does the Holy Spirit not follow the ministry of Barnabas and Mark, but it continues to follow the ministry of Paul? That's a good question, actually. So for whatever reason, the apostle Paul is the one that Luke continues to record and that the Holy Spirit continues to write down his events. And Luke is the one who is, uh, who is there with him. But now, all of a sudden, Mark is back. I love this. Get Mark. Mark. So, whatever, whatever difficulties in Acts 15 that take place, uh, here's another great reminder of the power of names, is that I don't know what happens to Demas, but there is always a chance for restoration, is there not? There's always a chance for restoration, and I love that statement here in this letter. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry, That word there is diakone, or it means ministry or service. Where we get the English word deacon, which is just a Greek word that we make into an English word. It means for service or for ministry. And the Apostle Paul says, man, if you could bring him here, right? I'm getting ready to die, but the one thing I'm not going to do is stop doing ministry. And can you bring him? Yeah, the same one that I wouldn't go with well we've 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 since not just reconciled but either he's grown up or whatever but we have we've have been brought back together and the apostle paul is recognizing the use of mark for continued ministry next tychicus i have sent to ephesus ephesus let me give you some some verses on him acts chapter 20 verse 4 mentions tychicus ephesians chapter 6 verse 21 Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, and Titus chapter 3, verse 12. Tychicus is mentioned a number of times, sending letters, bringing correspondence back. This guy is deeply involved. I mean, for many of you, I mean, you know about Paul, and you know about Barnabas, you might know about Silas, uh, you know about Timothy, you know about Titus, um, but Tychicus is actually mentioned quite a bit, deeply involved in, in Paul's ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Carpus, only found in this one particular instance, nowhere else in the Bible as he mentioned. But I left him at, I left Carpus at Troas. And by the way, going back to verse 13, so when you come, bring the cloak. That is a, uh, the, the Greek word for that is, it means like for, especially in winter, like a, the heavy outside garment that particularly uh, a lot of the, 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 the preachers, just so you know, Paul was not the only, and I don't just being Christian, but there were a number of philosophical teachers and preachers that would travel around and they would wear kind of this, this humble looking outer cloak. Um, the, the outer garments that people would wear would kind of symbolize who they were. Roman senators, politicians, businessmen would dress a certain way. And, and preachers and philosophers and teachers would dress a certain way. And so this is a very, somewhat of a technical term that he is apparently using. Uh, I doubt if he forgot it there. He just left it a different time. Maybe expecting to be able to go back and he's not able to go back. He says, I want you to grab my cloak. I left that with Carpus at Troas. And then he says this, and also the books and above all the parchments. And so the books most likely are going to be like it, could be, it could be anything, but most likely it, it would be oh, the Old Testament scriptures at, at some, in some strange way because uh, it's really complicated to get books. It's not just like, well, where do you get them, Amazon? It's not that easy to get these books. These books would be written on letters or on, on paper, like papyri, okay, which is what he would have written his letters on, we believe. And then he actually says, and above all the parchments, the parchments were the ones that were much more valuable and were written on animal skins, on basically on leather, so that not only could you write out on it, but then you could actually scratch it off and you could write again. And he says, I want those. Can you make sure that you bring those to me? I, I uh, heard Mark Scott again uh, preach a number of, a number, number of uh, months ago, maybe years ago now. He was just describing just the value of books he used to always teach us just how valuable books were and how critical. And, and Paul, near the end of his life, you know what I need? I need you to come. I need my coat. Oh, yeah, what I need even more than my coat is I need, I need these books that are going to remind me of the word of God. Um, I got I to share this with you. There's a, a couple of young men in our uh, congregation, college students, two of, the, two of the most genuine and kind and gracious men I've ever met in my life. Last name is Brinkman, they're from Texas. And uh, these two young men, how many of you guys know the Brinkman brothers, Brinkman twins? They're just, they're crazy, amazing young men. They're the ones that you stick around with a number of other people. They stick around after service and just clean up all our communion cups and just on their own, just kind of like, well, my daddy taught me to do that, you know, good old Texas boy. I had breakfast with them, with them this morning and I could not get over the fact that those guys could not speak Without quoting from memory scriptures. That's like Paul says in Philippians 2. (laughs) Then they just start quoting. Well, yeah, you're right. He does say that. And then we'll we'll start having some conversation. But it's like Paul says in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. And then they just start quoting scripture. Uh, that is true. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's, that's true. And then we'd start talking, and we'd start talking about Jesus. And it's like, well, you do know. And then they would start, Hebrews 1, clearly, and he starts quoting, and like everything was quoting Scripture over and over and over again. And I just, finally I had to ask him, like, where'd you guys learn this stuff? And kind of like we would see in this, in this letter, right, Paul says, the people that have taught you is your mom and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice, and uh, well, my mom and dad just really value the memorization of Scripture, so they just had us as young boys always memorizing the Scripture. So I always have it with me. I just couldn't help but think about how just valuable that is. So Paul has not only Scripture memorized. Um, I love this. Uh, there's a. There's a, how many of you guys know the name J.I. Packer? Anybody know who he is? Famous writer. He is now blind, like my father. He's now blind. And uh, he made the comment, I am so glad I committed so much scripture to memory. Because now I don't need them. <laughs> and truly, he's a walking Bible. And he's like, yeah, I, don't, I really don't need my eyes. My eyes have served their purpose in this body. But I have the word of the Lord like in my mind, burned into my mind. Morgan challenged our staff this week to memorize Scripture. Like, when was the last time somebody said to you, you know what, I really want to encourage you to spend more time memorizing scripture? Last week, I was with my son in, in St. Louis with Maxwell, and uh, he, we, we, we skipped college together to go to a hockey game. But after that, we were driving back from St. Louis, and I asked him what he was doing, because he was just kind of, he said, I'm just, he's doing it for class, I want him to sound more noble than he is, want to be truthful, well, I have some memory work. And some of my, most, my fondest memories, sometimes when you hear me able to recite scripture, it's because I was forced, strongly encouraged for a grade, however you want to put it. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Looking back, I'm so grateful that I had professors that did that. This is kind of what Paul is, is getting at here, these Old Testament scriptures. I want them. Um, I just, I don't know how critical it is. I don't know when we're not going to have these things. And it is just so important that the word of the Lord doesn't just stay here, but actually gets put into here. Well, we already have Demas, who's a bad guy. We got another one being mentioned here now, Alexander, the coppersmith. Um, Alexander, in a, in a bad way, is also mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. He is somebody who has shipwrecked their faith. Doesn't mention him by name or by trade. And there's a lot of debate as to whether or not it's the same one. I don't know why it would necessarily be a different one. I have no idea. If there are two Alexanders that that abandon the faith, um, or if there's just one, but it doesn't matter. This Alexander, look at what he says. This Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I find that to be also interesting. Um, Without ever being a vindictive person, because the Apostle Paul made it very, very clear that for those people with names who hurt you, we trust the Lord to be the one to to, 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 uh, to vindicate. The Apostle Paul was very much, trust the Lord to vindicate. Don't, don't you seek revenge. Trust the Lord. And the Apostle Paul was so good at just trusting the Lord to be the one who would vindicate. And so here he's describing this coppersmith who's been very, very painful to him. And then he trusts the Lord's with his deeds. Verse 15 that word for beware is a word that is used a lot in First in, in and Second Timothy. Another way it can be translated, it is guard against. Um, he uses this phrase, guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. The gospel is what he is describing. Here he's talking about that idea of being careful of him, like guard yourself against him. Which is such an important posture. I don't know, here's what's interesting. I, I know I've, I've had I, I get everyone always saying to this to me, well, I don't, I, you know, I'm really not judging them when I say this. And I want to say, well, I mean, make sure your judgment's true. Make sure your judgment is measured with um, scripture, obviously. Make sure there is a humility when you say this. But the Apostle Paul didn't go, um, Demas, well, I really can't mention anything about him because who am I to judge? No, what did he say? Demas had a love for money. And a love for this world. What did he say about Alexander, the coppersmith? He actually said, listen, here's you need to be careful of that guy. You need to be careful about him. So be, uh, be of, uh, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Literally, the word for oppose means to stand against. And so there is in Paul's ministry, not just people who abandon him, but are people who are constantly trying to undo him. I genuinely believe, don't have time to fully go into it tonight. I genuinely believe when the apostle Paul says, and I prayed for this thorn in the flesh to be taken from me. And I prayed three times and God finally said, my strength is sufficient for you. Let it go. Done, we're done talking about this. God said to Paul, we're done. You've asked me, I've told you no. I've told you my grace is sufficient in your weakness. Let it go. I genuinely believe that the thorn in Paul's flesh are those people who are undermining the ministry that he is doing. I think Paul's greatest angst are those people who are coming along behind him and undoing the ministry that he did. Read 1 Thessalonians 2. Read Philippians 2. The Apostle Paul, a number of them. Those are just two quick instances. I think why he sends uh, Timothy to Ephesus. Is why? To strengthen the church there. And people come behind him, Judaizers, the book of Galatians. I I hear that that people are coming along and they're stirring up trouble. And the hardest thing for someone who is dedicated to the proclamation of God are those for whatever reason who are are trying to undo it at every step. Um, Do you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? And what does he do? He does this incredible message, fire comes down, and as soon as he kills the 400 prophets of Baal, and as soon as they're dead, what happens? Jezebel threatens him. The day will not go down until I have your head, Elijah. And Elijah runs off, mad. I don't think he's afraid to die, because when he finally meets God, he's like, just kill me. If you're afraid to die, you don't tell God to kill you. You know what Elijah doesn't like? It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how great the revival is. It doesn't matter. There's always a Jezebel undoing everything I'm doing, and I'm just sick of it. One of the reasons why I believe that's the real key in Elijah's ministry is God says to him after he speaks to him in this quietness, God says, I want you to go home, and I want you to go home this way, and as you go home, I want you to Anoint Elijah, or Elisha, I want you to anoint um, uh, uh, King somebody, Ben-Hadad, I think it's King Ben-Hadad, and I want you to anoint um, Eli, uh, um, Yehu, Yehu will be king of Israel, Ben-Hadad will be the king of Syria, and I want you to anoint Elisha. That's a weird ending to the story (laughs) Wait a second here. So I come down here, I want to die, and your answer is go home and anoint these three people? If you look at the text, those three people are going to deal with Ahab and Jezebel and all of the things that Elijah is complaining about. And here is the lesson that I needed to learn from, uh, from 1 Kings 19, is that God, without any kind of explanation needed, buries his workers and continues his work. Hey, Paul, like, I know it's the end of your life, but it's not the end of the kingdom. Like, hey, Paul, like, I know that in Galatia, things are beginning to unravel. (laughs) But the good news is, Paul, you're not the one in charge of this. Like, sometimes I know what it's like to just think that, um, like, Sunnybrook is up to me and and the staff and the elders. Like, that's who it's really up to. And it's not. And if I die in Mexico next week, everything's good. It's just all good. We were traveling one time to a conference in Atlanta and almost everybody on staff was on the plane. (laughs) And we were kind of laughing. Man, if this goes down, it ought to be interesting Sunday, don't you think? It'll be interesting. I wonder who's gonna preach. Remember that, Paul? We joke around. If this goes down, I wonder who's gonna preach. And then we would laugh. And I found, did we not find great comfort in this, Paul? Someone... I don't know, they'll call the college and get Mark Scott to come preach. That'll be great. Wish I could be there actually now that I think of it. Isn't that a great, I don't know if you find comfort. I really do, I find comfort in that thought. It's able for me to even say goodbye to my sons when they leave because the work in them is not done. God's gonna continue to do this amazing work. And so here he is saying, hey, I want you to be on on guard. I want you to be careful. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, literally the word is apologia, where we get the word apologetics. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then Paul says, like Jesus on the cross, like Stephen when he is about to be killed, may it not be charged against them. Now, God will be the final one to make that decision. But Paul the one um, who has experienced God's grace, says, you know, I really do pray that the Lord does not hold it against him. By the way, that doesn't mean they just get a pass. It just means Paul is trusting the Lord with his grace and his mercy. I mean, I'm, let me ask you this question. If, if you wanna know a test of your own maturity, if you know somebody who's wronged you, I'm not asking you if you can just forgive them. I'm asking, is it, how well would you be able to say, man, I sure hope the Lord, and you can mean it, I sure hope the Lord doesn't count this against them. I sure hope they have found peace, and I sure hope they have found grace and reconciliation with God. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? When they've wronged you, when they've deserted you. Verse 17, but the Lord, everyone else leaves me, but what? But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Um, That is a very interesting word that's used sparingly in the Bible um, some people believe that Luke, since Luke is with Paul, that Luke might be the one writing this, because the, the language between 1 and 2 Timothy is a little bit different. This is the word that Paul or that Luke uses in Luke chapter 1, when he says, I want to write for you, Theophilus, a full account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what the same, same, same Greek word. I want you to know the full picture. I want you to know the the full story. And what does he say? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the me, the message might be fully explained, fully proclaimed. And all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And most likely this is the use of lion, which by the way, sometimes means Jesus. I doubt that in this instance. It can also mean the devil. I think that's this one, obviously. I was rescued. Same word, um, God, deliver us from evil. It's, it's not the usual word for save, sozo. It's actually the word meaning um, to, to, to deliver from. So the same way that we pray, God, deliver me from evil. That's, that's this word here, rescued from the lion's mouth. Verse 18, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely. Here's what you got to do. You got to circle that bring me safely. That is actually the word for save. That's actually sozo. What will God do? This is, remember I always, I'll tell you this sometimes, that the word save in the Bible is actually found in a number of different tenses, Sometimes the Bible says I was saved. Sometimes the Bible says I am being saved. And then sometimes the Bible says, and then one day I will be saved. Why? Because salvation is such a deep concept. It's such a, a wide, it's this rescuing, it's a, it's a rescue that keeps rescuing. It's a healing, it's, a, it's being healed that keeps on healing. And what does the Apostle Paul say? Is that not only has the Lord delivered me and rescued me from all of these evil deeds, but one day he will, and I find it fascinating that they use this phrase, he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Really what Paul is saying is that one day God will ultimately save me from all harm. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. What does Paul say? Do you know this verse? This is one of the ones I had to memorize. For I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will see it unto its completion, its, its, its ultimate maturity, its ultimate fulfillment. This is what I believe, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the end. You know, that's one of the reasons why I love doing ministry is to see the work that has that is begun in people to watch it grow into its fullness. And the apostle Paul is saying, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I totally believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do work. Actually, remember earlier in the letter, Paul would say to Timothy, like, I want you to be patient with people. And he, he talked about, there was a very really weird Greek word, and it just meant like this willingness to like just go on and on and on and to just suffer long With people that don't get it and people that are wronging you, and you just that that's the mark of a godly person, a person who is mature, who can just endure and endure and endure. Why? How do you do that? Here's how you do it: because you know that God is the one who will bring me safely home. That's that's not just kind of rescue me from hardship. No, because the Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts to the Ephesian elders, Paul says, for the Holy Spirit has told me everywhere that I go that prison and hardships await me. So this is what Paul said simultaneously. Everywhere I go, I'm going to get beaten for my faith. (laughs) I'm going to end up with all of these difficulties and everybody is fighting against me and everybody is delivering me, but the Lord will strengthen me and the Lord will see me through to the end and he will deliver me safely into my eternal home. How do you do that? He will deliver me safely into his heavenly home. He will save me. And then he ends with this wonderful doxology to him. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then greet Prisca, which, by the way, um, in the Acts material, her name would be, do you know what her name is? Priscilla. It's the same, it's the same name. Okay, not a different person. Um, it's not that Aquila married someone else with a very similar name. Okay, no, Prisca is Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Ones, Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus um, who's also mentioned, by the way, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. And he is one who has uh, a ministry that is taking place in his home. And Paul mentions the ministry that is taking place, taking place there. Erastus, who is mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Acts chapter 20 verse four, Trophimus and his uh, Fred Craddock teases him, saying that they're twins. Um, Tryphena and Tryphosa. He basically, they're known as the Ephesians, the Asians from Ephesus. And these two, we don't know if they're twins. I think Fred kind of teasing with that because of the similarity of their names. Um, But they are men that have been incredibly helpful to Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus where Timothy now is. And he is saying, hey, I left him because he was ill at Miletus, which just happens to be where the Apostle Paul, for the last time, met with the Ephesian elders. So just a lot of memories coming back from this time. And then he says in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. And then a bunch of names that are not found anywhere else in the Bible, so I can't give you any information on them. Eubulus sends his greetings to you, as does Prudence and Linus, not with a blanket, okay? And Linus and Claudia, a woman, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit, Grace be with you, and those are the final words that the apostle Paul writes. Um, when I went through here, and I thought, okay, which words do I want to circle, and which do I want to line up? Obviously, I really wanted to kind of um, have us end with these names. Each of these, not of all, not all good. Um, each of them loved by God. Each of them serving a purpose. And uh, it's it's very interesting that. Um, there will, there will come a day, just I don't know if you think about this, like there'll come a day where you will most likely meet almost all of these names. And, and you'll go, oh, you, Demas, you made it. <laughs> Paul talked about you, it wasn't good. Or be able to say to somebody else, hey, how's that, uh, how's that church in your house? How'd that, how'd that end up? How'd that life group end up? I, I went back and I, I started looking, and there actually is a name on the page and it kind of caught me afterwards. There actually is a name on that page that I never circled. I felt kind of dumb after. Do you know which one it is? The Lord. <laughs> and I just I didn't I didn't circle it. It's weird how much I was kind of wrapped up in these 17 names and making sure I looked at every instance that they had in the Bible, and I somehow missed over Jesus. And that really is kind of a sad thing because it's he, Jesus the Lord, who didn't just see Paul to the end, but who caused it all in the beginning. Like it's Jesus, actually, that holds all of this together. Uh, His name actually never mentioned, his title is, but his name is never mentioned. But he is the one that Paul spends all of his life dedicating all of his energy, all of his ministry. Why? Why? so that the name of Jesus might truly be known so that people would not have better lives, better marriages, and better families. Paul didn't really start a ministry so that um, they could have better health, um, better financial programs, financial peace, university. No, no, no. The Apostle Paul had one reason to do all that he did. It was so that all of these names and all of the unknown names that we will um, spend eternity to unpack, but um, that they might somehow know the name of who? name of Jesus. Uh, Because of all the names that matter, I think we can all agree, can we not? That that one matters the most. Let's pray. And so God, I thank you Father, for a ministry that uh, we spend some time to look at tonight and to reflect on. And Father, it is amazing to just think about how your hand kind of traces through history your will and purpose. Um, And that, God, you don't just work generically, but through the proclamation of good news, of your plan particularly about Jesus and all that only he could do and only he did do, that we have faith today. And so, God, I thank you for um, those in my life who by name I am grateful for. And Father, I pray that we would also have ears to hear you call our name, when it be the, the time for us to go or us to step up and serve, for us to lead, Father, for us to give, um, that truly, God, um, it is just so easy to sit back. It is so easy to uh, to take. It is so easy to just observe. Uh, Father, and... Uh, It is actually your purpose, your design purpose, to be glorified, not just generically, but Father, in the lives of us. And therefore, Father, I I know that I can speak for many in this room when I say, um, in light of your mission and your purpose, here am I. My name is Jim. Send me. To you, Father, only be the glory. To your Son, be praise and honor. Through your Spirit, be power forever and ever. Amen.